Section 20 of Handbook of Home Rule. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Handbook of Home Rule, being articles on the Irish question. Ireland's Alternatives by Lord Thring, Part 2. The legislative supremacy of the British Parliament was maintained by an express provision excepting from any interference on the part of the irish legislature all imperial powers and declaring any enactment void which infringed that provision further an enactment was inserted for the purpose of securing to the english legislature in the last resource the absolute power to make any law for the government of ireland and therefore to repeal or suspend the irish constitution technically these reservations of supremacy to the english legislature were unnecessary as it is an axiom of constitutional law that a sovereign legislature such as the queen and two houses of parliament in england cannot bind their successors and consequently can repeal or alter any law however fundamental and annul any restrictions on alteration however strongly expressed practically they were never likely to be called into operation as it is the custom of parliament to adhere under all but the most extraordinary and unforeseen circumstances to any compact made by act of parliament between itself and any subordinate legislative body the irish legislature was subjected to the same controlling power which has for centuries been applied to prevent any excess of jurisdiction in our colonial legislatures by a direction that an appeal as to the constitutionality of any law which they may pass should lie to the judicial committee of the privy council the supremacy of the imperial judicial power over the action of the colonial legislatures was a system which the founders of the american constitution copied in the establishment of their supreme court and thereby secured for that legislative system a stability which has defied the assaults of faction and the strain of civil war the executive government of ireland was continued in her majesty and was to be carried on by the lord lieutenant on her behalf by the aid of such officers and such counsel as her majesty might from time to time see fit the initiative power of recommending taxation was also vested in the queen and delegated to the lord lieutenant these clauses are coordinate and correlative with the clause conferring complete local powers on the irish legislature while it preserves all imperial powers to the imperial legislature the governor is an imperial officer and will be bound to watch over imperial interests with a jealous scrutiny and to veto any bill which may be injurious to those interests on the other hand as respects all local matters he will act on and be guided by the advice of the irish executive council the system is self-acting the governor for local purposes must have a council which is in harmony with the legislative body if the governor and a council supported by the legislative body do not agree the governor must give way unless he can by dismissing his council and dissolving the legislative body obtain both a council and a legislative body which will support his views as respects imperial questions the case is different here the last word rests with the mother country and in the last resort a determination of the executive council backed by the legislative body to resist imperial rights 
must be deemed an act of rebellion on the part of the irish people and be dealt with accordingly in acceding to the claims of the national party for home rule in ireland another question had to be considered the demands of the english garrison as it is called or in plain words of the class of irish landlords for protection they urged that to grant home rule in ireland would be to hand them over to their enemies their tenants and to lead to an immediate or to all events approximate confiscation of their properties without admitting the truth of these apprehensions to the full extent or indeed to any great extent it was undoubtedly felt by the framers of the home rule bill that a moral obligation rested on the imperial government to remove if possible the fearful exasperations attending the agrarian relations in ireland rather than leave a question so fraught with danger so involved in difficulty to be determined by the irish government on its first entry into official existence hence the land bill the scheme of which was to frame a system under which the tenants by being made owners of the soil should become interested as a class in the maintenance of social order while the landlords should be enabled to rid themselves on fair terms of their estates in cases where from apprehension of impending changes or for pecuniary reasons they were desirous of relieving themselves from the responsibilities of ownership of the land scheme brought into parliament in eighteen eighty six it need only here be said that it proposed to lend the irish government three per cent stock at three and an eighth per cent interest the irish government undertaking to purchase from any irish landlord desirous of selling his estate at as a general rule twenty years purchase on the net rental the money thus disbursed by the irish government was repaid to them by an annuity payable by the tenant for forty-nine years of four per cent on a capital sum equal to twenty times the gross rental the result being that were the bill passed into law the tenant would become immediate owner of the land subject to the payment of an annuity considerably less than the previous rent that the irish government would make a considerable profit on the transaction inasmuch as it would receive from the tenant interest calculated on the basis of the gross rental while it would pay to the english government interest calculated on the basis of the net rental and that the english government would sustain no loss if the interest were duly received by them the effect of such a plan appears almost magical ireland is transformed at one stroke from a nation of landlords into a nation of peasant proprietors apparently without loss to anyone and with gain to everybody concerned except the british government who neither gain nor lose in the matter the practicability however of such a scheme depends altogether on the security against loss afforded to the british taxpayer for he is industrious and heavily burdened and cannot be expected to assent to any plan which will land him in any appreciable loss here it is that the plan of mr gladstone's land bill differs from all other previous plans act after act has been passed enabling the tenant to borrow money from the british government on the security of the holding for the purpose of enabling him to purchase the fee simple in such transactions the british government becomes the mortgagee and can only recover its money if default is made in payment 
by ejecting the tenant and becoming the landlord in proportion then as any existing purchase act succeeds in the same proportion the risk of the british taxpayer increases he is ever placed in the most invidious of all lights instead of posing as the generous benefactor who holds forth his hand to rescue the landlord and tenant from an intolerable position he stands forward either as the grasping mortgagee or as the still more hated landlord who having deprived the tenant of his holding is seeking to introduce another man into property which really belongs to the ejected tenant such a position may be endurable when the number of purchasing tenants is small but at once breaks down if agrarian reform in ireland is to be extended so far as to make any appreciable difference in the relations of landlord and tenant still more if it become general now what is the remedy of such a state of things surely to interpose the irish government between the irish debtor and his english creditor and to provide that the irish revenues in bulk not the individual holdings of each tenant shall be the security for the english creditor this was the scheme embodied in the land act of eighteen eighty six the punctual payment of all money due from the government of ireland to the government of great britain was to have been secured by the continuance in the hands of the british government of the excise and customs duties and by the appointment of an imperial receiver-general assisted by subordinate officers and protected by an imperial court this officer would have received not only all the imperial taxes but also the local taxes and it would have been his duty to satisfy the claims of the british government before he allowed any sum to pass into the irish exchequer in effect the british government in relation to the levying of imperial taxes would have stood in the same relation to ireland as congress does to the united states in respect to the levying of federal taxes the fiscal unity of great britain and ireland would have been in this way secured and the british government protected against any loss of interest for the large sums to be expended in carrying into effect in ireland any agrarian reform worthy of the name the irish bills of eighteen eighty six as above represented had at least three recommendations one they created a state of things in ireland under which it was possible to make a complete agrarian reform without exposing the english exchequer to any appreciable risk two they enabled the irish to govern themselves as respects local matters while preserving intact the supremacy of the british parliament and the integrity of the empire three they enabled the british parliament to govern the british empire without any obstructive irish interference to the first of these propositions no attempt at an answer has been made the land bill was never considered on its merits indeed was never practically discussed but was at once swept into oblivion by the wave which overwhelmed the home rule bill the contention against the second proposition was concerned in proving that the supremacy of the british parliament was not maintained the practical answer to this objection has been given above pushed to its utmost it could only amount to proof that an amendment ought to have been introduced in committee declaring 
in words better selected than those introduced for that purpose in the bill that nothing in the act should affect the supremacy of the british parliament in short the whole discussion here necessarily resolved itself into a mere verbal squabble as to the construction of a clause in a bill not yet in committee and had no bottom or substance it was also urged that the concession of self-government to ireland was but another mode of handing over the loyalist party or as it is sometimes called the english garrison to the tender mercies of the parnellites the reply to this would seem to be that as respects property the land bill effectually prevented any interference of the irish parliament with the land nay more enabled any irishman desirous of turning his land into money to do so on the most advantageous terms that had ever been and with a falling market it may be confidently prophesied ever can be offered to the irish landlord while as respect life and liberty were it possible that they should be endangered it was the duty of the imperial officer the lord lieutenant to take means for the preservation of peace and good order and behind him to enforce his behests stand the strong battalions who to our sorrow be it spoken have so often been called upon to put down disturbance and anarchy in ireland competing plans have been put forward with more or less detail for governing ireland the suggestion that ireland should be governed as a crown colony need only be mentioned to be rejected it means in effect that ireland should sink from the rank of an equal or independent member of the british empire to the grade of the most dependent of her colonies and should be governed despotically by english officials without representation in the english parliament or any machinery of local self-government another proposal has been to give four provincial governments to ireland limiting their powers to local rating education and legislation in respect of matters which form the subjects of private bill legislation at present in fact to place them somewhat on the footing of the provinces of canada while reserving to the english parliament the powers vested in the dominion of canada such a scheme would seem adapted to whet the appetite of the irish for nationality without supplying them with any portion of the real article it would supply no basis on which a system of agrarian reform could be founded as it would be impossible to leave the determination of a local question which is a unit in its dangers and its difficulties to four different legislatures above all the hinge on which the question turns the sufficiency of the security for the british taxpayer could not be afforded by provincial resources indeed no alternative for the land bill of eighteen eighty six has been suggested which does not err in one of the following points either it pledges english credit on insufficient security or it requires the landowners to accept irish debentures or some form of irish paper money at par in other words it makes english taxes a fund for relieving irish landlords or else it compels the irish landowner if he sells at all to sell at an inadequate price before parting with canada it may be worth while noticing that another and more feasible alternative is to imitate more closely the canadian constitution and divest the central or dominion powers in a central legislature in dublin 
parceling out the provincial powers as they have been called amongst several provincial legislatures this scheme might be made available as a means of protecting ulster from the supposed danger of undue interference from the central government and for making possibly other diversities in the local administration of various parts of ireland in order to meet special local exigencies a leading writer among the dissentient liberals has intimated that one of two forms of representative colonial government might be imposed on ireland either the form in which the executive is connected by colonial officials or the form of the great irresponsible colonies the first of these forms is open to the objection that it perpetuates those struggles between english executive measures and irish opinion which has made ireland for centuries ungovernable and led to the establishment of the union and destruction of irish independence in eighteen hundred the second proposal would destroy the fiscal unity of the empire leaving the agrarian feud unextinguished and aggravate the objections which have been urged against the home rule bill of eighteen eighty six a question still remains in relation to the form of the home rule bill of eighteen eighty six which would not have deserved attention but for the prominence given to it in some of the discussions upon the subject the bill of eighteen eighty six provides that the legislature may make laws for the peace order and good government of ireland but subjects their power to numerous exceptions and restrictions the act establishing the dominion of canada enumerates various matters in respect of which the legislature of canada is to have exclusive power but prefaces the enumeration with a clause that the dominion legislature may make laws for the peace order and good government of canada in relation to all matters not within the jurisdiction of the provincial legislatures although such matters may not be specially mentioned in effect therefore the difference between the irish bill and the canadian act is one of expression and not of substance and although the bill is more accurate in its form it would scarcely be worth while to insist on legislating by exception instead of by enumeration if by the substitution of the latter form for the former any material opposition would be conciliated what then are the conclusions intended to be drawn from the foregoing premises one that coercion is played out and can no longer be regarded as a remedy for the evils of irish misrule two that some alternative must be found and that the only alternative within the range of practical politics is some form of home rule three that there is no reason for thinking that the grant of home rule to ireland a member only and not one of the most important members of the british empire will in any way dismember or even in the slightest degree risk the dismemberment of the empire four that home rule presupposes and admits the supremacy of the british parliament five that theory is in favor of home rule as the nationality of ireland is distinct and justifies a desire for local independence while the establishment of home rule is a necessary condition to the effectual removal of agrarian disturbances in ireland six that precedent is in favor of granting home rule to ireland e g 
the success of the new constitution in austria-hungary and the happy effects resulting from the establishment of the dominion of canada seven that the particular form of home rule granted is comparatively immaterial eight that the home rule bill of eighteen eighty six may readily be amended in such a manner as to satisfy all real and unpartisan objectors nine that the land bill of eighteen eighty six is the best that has ever been devised having regard to the advantages offered to the new irish government the landlord and the tenant end of section twenty